Yeah, you're one of our regular students for Self-Improvement Wednesday. Each week you get to learn something new. You'll listen this week, The Extra Lives of the Roman Poet Virgil. Your teacher is Dr Anne Rogerson, the Charles Tesserero Senior Lecturer in Latin at the University of Sydney. And good afternoon. Good afternoon, Richard. Let's start with the, this famous tourist attraction in, in Rome. People who've been to Rome might even remember it. It's called the, the Mouth of Truth. What's that got to do with the story you're here to tell today? Well, so lots of people may, may have seen the Mouth of Truth, maybe even very daringly put their hand into the mouth. It's, it's a stone disc with a face carved onto it. And the, the story is, and it's an old story since the 14th century, that whoever put their hand into the mouth of the stone face and swore and, and said something that wasn't true, the, the face would bite their hand. Um, what's interesting is that at the same time that story started to be told, there was a story told about the Roman poet Virgil, um, in which he too had allegedly created a magical device that acted like a lie detector, either a statue or a metal sta- snake. The stories kind of diverge a bit. Um, mm. And so, it's just like it's a bizarre story. Yes. So we've got this p- period in the Middle Ages, you know, 14th century, that sort of thing, when suddenly this uh, otherwise I- inspiring and, and, and uh, you know, interesting Roman poet suddenly is seen as, as not only a sorcerer, but as the inventor of these strange machines. That's right. And uh, so many different strange machines are kind of associated with Virgil, um, you know, the lie detector, but also um, bronze, a bronze fly that was supposed to keep, keep flies away from Naples, which is where one of the places where Virgil lived, um, or, or a kind of robotic, um, like a watchman in Rome that would patrol the, the streets in the evening and kill anyone who was violating curfew. A story after story after story associated with, with Virgil as presenting him as, so strangely as, as this sort mm-hmm. of sorcerer figure. Okay, because of course in, in his own life, as a, his own life was incredible in many ways, but he wasn't particularly associated with, there's, there's not that many references to magic in his verse, for instance. He's, not, he's certainly not regarded as a wizard or a sorcerer at the time. No, no. So there's there's a little bit of magic in Virgil's poetry. I mean, his hero Aeneas goes down to the underworld and visits um, the ghosts of people past and sees the ghosts of people still still to kind of be born. And um, there's a, there's some um, magic in some of his other poetry too. Love love magic. Um, but that doesn't seem to be where these stories are coming from. It's not like people are reading Virgil's poetry and saying, oh, he wrote about magic, mm-hmm. so he must have been a magician. Um, it's coming from somewhere else. And the interesting thing is that no one seems like people don't really know exactly where where these stories start to start to come from that congeal around this, the figure of Virgil. Hmm. Um, Although some of them, some, so some, about it, some of them do seem to be linked to Naples, don't they? They do. So there's quite a few stories about things that Virgil is supposed to have invented or built um, that protect Naples in some way. So like keeping the flies away, or stopping Vesuvius from from erupting. Um, or making sure that the meat in the meat market doesn't go bad. Um, so, so there is a pot- potentially a connection to Naples, which is where he lived in the last years of his life and where he was buried, where his tomb was located. Um, and there's a bit of a medieval tra- sort of legend built that built up around the tomb. So apparently, you know, St. Paul is supposed to have visited and said, oh, if only Virgil had lived so that I could convert him to Christianity. Um, so there might be some Neapolitan um, kernel to this, but there, I think there's other influences as well on, on this bizarre growing tradition that mm-hmm. lasted a couple of hundred years. Um, 
One probably has to do with something that Virgil, that is in Virgil's poetry. Um, he wrote a poem which predicted the birth of a miraculous child and a coming and a golden age of age of prosperity and peace to come after that. Um, and he wasn't a Christian, and he was writing before the birth of Christ. But people um, in, from late antiquity onwards read read that poem as a prediction of of Christ, um, and so they started to see him as a prophet figure. And maybe that people think maybe that's why. Then, they can, if you accept he's a prophet, then maybe the magician stories make a bit more sense. Um, but it's it's a very strange growth of, of a legend. Mm. Mm. Certainly, some of the machines that they they ascribed him, you know, falsely ascri- ascribed, but ascribed nonetheless, are remarkable. There's, there's one in in Rome which was said to have been uh, an automaton which showed all the countries of the world under Roman uh, Roman domination, and and which of them were suddenly under threat. A bell would ring out or something. Yes, yeah, that, I mean, that's a great one. Um, there's so many. I, I mean, I, I like the one that I mentioned already about the, the poli- sort of robot policeman. Um, he's also given credit for all sorts of um, kind of like therapeutic, um, so therapeutic baths and, and um, a garden where you could grow thing, um, a plant that could restore eyesight. So it's, they're, they're about protection and about healing, all of these stories that, that kind of cluster around him. Okay. If he's not a, a wizard and a sorcerer, as they thought in the Middle Ages, what was he? What, what's the true story of, of Virgil and his life? <laughs> well, that's a good question. I mean, we don't know an awful lot about Virgil. Um, there is there is a tradition, a biographical tradition that sort of, for us, starts in late antiquity in the fourth century, um, but which actually seems to rest on some uh, a life that was written by Suetonius, who you probably know as um, the biographer of the Roman emperors, mm-hmm. um, and he's second century and, and he had and sorry, but one of the great, one of the most entertaining writers ever, but also one of the great greatest propagandists ever, right? Well, that's right. That's right. Um, and and he had he had sort of like a a formula for for his lives. Um, so you've got to take some of what he says in with a, a grain of salt. And we can't really tell how much of what we've got is Suetonius and how much is is later a later accretion. Um, but we he we do have you know quotations from letters between Augustus and Virgil. So we know you know that the relationship between the two of them is, was a genuine one. We know stuff about when he was born and where he lived and so on. Um, but but a lot of the, the stranger stories about him seem to have grown up um, either someone taking something in his poetry and, and assuming that that must be a reflection of reality or, or I can, you know, write a story that that makes sense reading, reading biography out of fiction. Um, all their stories that grow up around him to... Uh, I guess reflect his towering reputation. You know, he's one of the greatest and most read poets from the Roman Roman Empire and through the empire and after its fall. He keeps being read across, you know, Western Europe. Um, and so, even by late antiquity and probably before that, he has this reputation of being a man of towering intellect. Um, a, a sage. And then I think it's from that that you then take the next step to say, oh, well, if he's a sage, then why not make him a sorcerer? Yes, mm-hmm. or, or even before that, to, to associate miracles with his birth, because that's, that's in the early tradition, isn't it? That is, that is very early, yes, and you get that a lot with, with sort of famous figures from antiquity and I suppose, you know, Christian saints and things too. Um, but the, his mother is supposed to have dreamed when she was pregnant with him that she gave birth to a laurel branch, 
Um, and laurel, of course, is the plant that's associated with Apollo, the god of poetry. And the branch gets sort of touches the earth and immediately starts to grow. Um, and it's covered in di- lots of different fruits and flowers. So it's a, like a miraculous laurel to, that turns into an, an everything tree kind of thing. Um, and they tell stories about how when he was born, he, you know, um, didn't cry. So <laughs> that's a miracle. Everybody who has a small baby knows. Um, or a, a story that a, a little twig planted in the place of his birth um, miraculously grows up to a tall tree. So all of that, that kind of thing is about saying this is a sign that this child is going to become someone wonderful. He certainly became one of the great polymaths, didn't he? And, and, and that too is, is part of the myth or not part of the myth and the, and the reality, really. Yes, yes, that's right. So it, it is the reality because we know that he was, in, you know, incredibly learned in, um, in literature, both Greek and Roman and in philosophy and natural sciences and history. Um, and his poetry is, is so rich because it's packed with, with that sort of lifelong learning that he pursued. Um, but then there's this, the stories in late antiquity start to sort of, I guess, take, take his knowledge that, that is, expressed in mm-hmm. literature and then make it like I guess applied in real life imaginary real life circumstances so there's this story um, in the fourth century life that you know he when he was learning medicine and mathematics um, and he became more learned than anybody else so he comes to Rome and he um, makes friends with Augustus's um, stable master the guy who who looks after Augustus's horses and um, and starts curing all of the diseases that ail them and, and gets sort of rewarded for that and to the extent that then people start asking him questions about horses and dogs and eventually Augustus himself asks a kind of very um, personal question that he thinks Virgil is the only one who can possibly, you know, um, mm-hmm. kind of solve because he's so clever. And, and even though it's hard to work out quite why the, the Middle Ages invented this uh, this idea about Virgil, as you say, from late antiquity and these other versions in the in more like the 14th century, there is something amazing about. I suppose it's, it's a world in which a poet, a, a poet, a, a, a towering poet like Virgil, is just seen as so important, so central to life that these things get created, and his 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 importance lasts for sort of. Well, he's still important today, of course, but his importance to the tradition. Is 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 still really um, powerful after fourteen centuries. That's right. It is extraordinary, and and extraordinary too. I guess from our perspective, where Virgil is someone who's you know studied in universities, um, and you can buy translations in bookshops and things, but he's not he's not mainstream in the same way. But but back in the fourteenth century, um, he is mainstream. He's become this weird pop culture figure, like a. Uh, this this magical version of Leonardo da Vinci or something inventing all these machines. Um, he, he can. You he, he can keep the flies off you. He can stop the meat from going rancid, and he can tell you where your enemies are circling. That's right. Yeah, it's <laughs> what, pretty good. What more can you ask from a poet? Uh, what an interesting lesson. Hey, Anne, thank you so much. You're welcome, Richard. There's Anne Rogerson. 
She's Charles Tesserero, lecturer in Latin at the Department of Classics and Ancient History at the University of Sydney. Of course, her lesson on Virgil's many lives will be online, abc.net.au slash Sydney. There you'll also find details of how to subscribe to the free Self-Improvement Wednesday podcast. TJF is a podcaster as well. Lots of people subscribe around the world if you tend to miss it on a Friday throw your name on that list as well. Next week, a lesson from Dr. Cindy McCreary, a senior lecturer in the Department of History at the University of Sydney, on how succession works in the British royal family. That's Self-Improvement Wednesday next week.